A Japan Airlines flight is taking off from Sydney, heading to Manila, when they have to make an emergency landing. What caused this flight to divert after takeoff? Welcome back to the Hard Landings Podcast, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Miranda. And I'm Christy. And it's tomorrow. Yes. <laughs> From when you guys were listening. The we... last episode we recorded yesterday. Yesterday. So today is a new day. Yeah. As you may have noticed, this is a very short episode. Extremely short. You will find out why in a second. But also, sorry in advance, it is the holidays and we are recording like every day right now. Also, we did not make our schedule. <laughs> that is true, too. Yeah. You guys, you guys made our schedule. Stuff. You guys suggest the stuff. So and all the short episodes, not our fault. Your fault. So to be fair, this maybe should have been a mini-sode. But also, this is a topic we haven't talked about before, so it is still important enough that we felt we should talk about it here. I think we talked about it a little bit in a different episode. Yeah, probably. But, but it wasn't the cause. It wasn't the cause. And I think we talked about the specific incident, and someone had recommended it after we talked about it. Okay. Anyways. Or something of the like. Well, so, whatever the case. Given that, what are we covering today, Nick? Today, we are covering Japan Airlines Flight 772. Thank you to Shua on Instagram for recommending this yes. episode. Yes, that. They still use this flight number today, which is the sign that things didn't go completely wrong. This happened on February 22nd of 1970. So this is uh, a while ago. This was a Douglas DC-8-62. So it's a quad-engine jet. We've talked about them before. This is a longer version of the DC-8. Um, it's actually, I think, the exact same version as the Nation Air. Oh, lovely. Yeah. It had the tail number Juliet Alpha-8031. It's Japanese. It is Japanese because it is Japan Airlines. The flight was from Sydney to Manila to Tokyo. All of the names of the crew were redacted in the report, the very, very short report. Oh, but I do have all the rest of their information, so that is helpful. <laughs> okay. Privacy laws in Japan are pretty strict. I wonder Very. if that had anything to do with More it. More than likely, yes. Even though this is an Australian report. Yes. They probably wrote out the names and then handed it to the Japanese, and they were like, redact, 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 redact. <laughs> Makes sense. Because they're a very, very privacy-oriented country. Yes. Like, you can't video anyone without their permission like you have to blur faces out and there's a long list of the ways you have to legalize that before you can even do it yeah that is a complicated thing anyways so the captain was 47 years old he had 12,322 hours total of which 3,587 hours were on the dc-8 the second captain was 44 years old he had 15,575 hours total don't know how many on the type. Didn't say. The first officer was 30 years old. He had 2,585 hours total, so not a whole lot. No idea how many on the type. The flight engineer was 28 years old. He had 1,794 hours and have no idea how many on the type, but most likely most of those because mm. he's a flight engineer. He's a flight engineer. So unlike pilots, you don't gain time in practice with a flight engineer you're pretty much thrown in and that's where you gain all your hours yeah because like small planes don't really have flight, flight engineers. engineer positions like yeah, there's not right. really a reason for that right the aircraft had arrived the night before at around 10 p.m the aircraft underwent routine maintenance while on the ground and the maintenance crew pulled the airplane aside to a ground test site 
to perform a test run on the engines. The maintenance work was completed at around 9.45 a.m. the next morning. The aircraft then remained unattended until 11.20 a.m. when it was moved to the departure ramp. The airplane was loaded and prepared for departure. There were 11 crew and 66 passengers for this flight. They began taxiing at 12.40 p.m. The flight entered runway 34 and took off at 12.51 p.m. Less than a minute later, as the aircraft was climbing through 200 feet, someone was seen falling from the plane. John Gilpin, a local photographer out capturing photos of airplanes, unknowingly captured a clear picture of 14-year-old Keith Sapsford as he fell from the wheel well of the DC-8. Sapsford fell the 200 feet to the ground where he perished. Gilpin didn't find out about the horrifying and heartbreaking photo for a week. Until he had the photos developed. Right. Authorities found the body a short time later beside the runway, and witnesses informed them of what happened. So they were basically alerted of this. They went to the site, found it. They were informed how that body ended up there. The flight was informed after some time about what had happened, and they diverted to Darwin in the northwest of Australia once they found out. The airplane arrived at Darwin with 11 crew and 66 passengers, just like it left with, undamaged. He fell from the wheel well? He fell from a wheel well. Did they still have the gear down? Do you want to talk about that? You want me to talk about that? How this happened? How he ended up there? The gear was retracting when he fell. So, when the gear is down, the doors are up. Oh. When they went to retract the gears, the 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 doors doors opened. And he fell out. Okay. And he fell. Although, even if he stayed in there, there's no space for a human to be in there. There's a lot of things we'll talk about with that. Okay. Right now. This investigation was performed by the Air Safety Investigation Board. Upon landing in Darwin, the aircraft was examined, and investigators found hand and footprints on the frames and the door of the left main landing gear compartment, which proved that someone had been in there recently. Investigators were quickly able to prove that it was fairly easy to open the landing gear compartment door from the outside, and there was space for someone to squat on the door, and there were shoe prints exactly there where Keith Sapsford had done just that. So you might be wondering to yourself, how exactly Sapsford gained access to the plane without being spotted? It turns out that the aircraft, when it, after it had undergone the maintenance, had been unattended for about an hour and a half and was visually shielded by a blast fence. So no one saw this happen. Hmm. How he gained access to the airfield? I don't really have an answer to that. I mean, at the time, security was much more lax. Uh, most airports didn't even have fences. What? I'm sorry, what year was this? 1970. Oh, okay, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Investigators determined that because of the distance between the door and the landing gear, Sapsford probably didn't know that that's what the compartment was for, especially since the doors were closed due to residual hydraulic pressure. So they don't necessarily have to be closed, but they happened to be since the engines just ran. Oh, okay. Next question you might have. Why didn't anyone find him during the pre-flight checks? I mean, if their doors were closed, the, it, and the wheel well, they're in a, a DC-8, right? Mm-hmm. I'm assuming it's not like you can just look in the wheel well from the ground. Like, it, yeah. that's not a thing. Well, yeah, I mean, can. it depends. Sometimes you should. So, investigators tested this and found that even with a flashlight, 
you wouldn't necessarily be able to see a person hiding in the compartment because it was so dark, and the rear of the compartment extends more than three feet past the corner of the fuselage structure, creating a hiding spot that you wouldn't look into during pre-flight inspection. That being said, all four crew members performed the pre-flight walk-around as well as the Japan Airlines station engineer, and none of the inspections included a detailed examination of the interior of the main landing gear bays, nor was it required by the airline to do so. And those are literally all of my notes. Wow. So. (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about Keith. So, Keith, how did he end up there? Why was he there? Because you think, 14-year-old kid, wow, that's really young. Yes, it is. And no, he wasn't just out there for fun. He really was trying to get away. It wasn't from his parents, though. He was a bit of a troubled kid, actually. I mean, he was... A very curious kid. He loved, his his father described him as loved being on the move all the time. Adventurous. Yes, he was very adventurous. And uh, they had just actually taken a trip, an international trip for fun, to hopefully quench that, some of that thirst. But then he still was getting in trouble here and there. So they had put him in a boarding school. Oh. A Catholic boarding school. Catholic boarding school. Ca- I'm sorry, but Catholic boarding schools are the worst. Generally, yes. And within two weeks... He was hating the experience so much that he tried to escape any way that he could. And he did escape. He went on the run, and he was on the run for a couple of days. And eventually he found himself at an airport. There's no saying whether or not he knew where the airplane was going, but I'm not sure he cared. He just wanted to get away. Granted, it did say Japan Airlines on the plane. Yeah, so maybe. He probably was like, "Mm, Japan, sounds great. Yes. Not a lot of Catholics in Japan. I mean, he was an adventurous kid, so maybe he was just literally trying to get anywhere he could away from That's fair. Australia. Thinking He's he also just, 14. Right, being a runaway. So, unfortunately, somehow, at some point in time during that night or day, he got access to the plane. There was plenty of time they found out where he could have done that, where people weren't looking. And there was plenty of ease for that, especially because when it was sitting in the test space for the engines... It was left there unattended for at least two hours. And even when they were Uh, testing it... An hour and a half. Yeah, an hour and a half. But even when they weren't testing it, there was hardly anybody around. And it was in an enclosed space away from the public. So it was not an easy place to see the airplane. Yeah. So he could have crawled into it there. He may have even done it on the ramp, for all we know. Yeah. But unfortunately, that's how he ended up there. His parents found out, and they were devastated. See, here's where... I mean, I'm not his parents. Mm-hmm. I don't know what he was like. But I had um, brothers who were um, not the best. Mm-hmm. And I would make that present tense. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I'm talking teenage-wise. That's fair. Right? Yes. Like, now I just ignore them because we're adults and I can just ignore them. And I also don't live with them anymore. But being in a household with people who aren't great, it's... It can be challenging, but sending them off to boarding school is not the best way to say, I care about you enough to have you go somewhere else and get disciplined. It's eh. We know that now, but culturally speaking, that was very much the norm in that time. Yes, I realize that. I mean, this is 1970s. The world was different, but it's not the best way. No, Me understanding child psychology, he probably was acting out because his parents weren't giving him enough attention. Mm-hmm. 
that's usually why kids act out. They're not getting enough nurturing at home or they're not getting enough attention at home. So kids act out. That's just the what they do. It's, and they definitely don't get that at Catholic school. No, and they don't do it on purpose. It's just what happens. And I, I think as adults, people forget that. Like, and, especially right. if you grew up in a family where that wasn't a problem. And on top of that, so this is a Catholic boarding school we're talking about. At this same time, my mom was in Catholic school. And right. child abuse was very much prevalent. I'm not saying that as any kind of, like, discriminatory or stereotype. It's true. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My mom technically underwent child abuse at Catholic school. So mm -hmm. I have zero doubts that the exact same thing was happening here. Yeah. Well, like, beatings. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Being slapped with rulers, probably. My yep. grandmother went to a Catholic school, too, and actually had some of those experiences as well. Some, so. some kids were whipped. I mean... This is 1970. This happened in public school, too. Uh -huh. We're not talking about just because Catholics were Catholics. This happened in real school. My dad talks all the time about being hit with paddles and stuff while oh, yeah. going to the principal's office, that kind of thing. It was a thing back then. Which only makes matters worse when you're talking about poor behavior. Right. Yep. It, it Punishing – physical punishment never makes it better. Actually, no. it makes things worse. Yeah. There are studies any, proving that. Any kind of negative punishment, in fact, usually makes things worse. Negative punishment sometimes shows different behavior, but sometimes Most it's of the time. not the behavior you want to see. Right. So using positive punishment is easier. Which is taking away something good when you behave badly. Right. Yes. Like, let's say, for instance, this happened in my household growing up. My brother was being a dick. Okay, as he does. Mm -hmm. and Either of them. Yes, at this point in my life, yes, it was either of them. We're talking specifically about the older one, which doesn't mean much in older our Older by minutes. But yes. Yes. He was being a dick to my mom, so my mom did the thing where she shut his phone off. Because now we have the magical thing that if you're on a phone plan with someone else, yep. my mom was just like, okay. No phone. Your phone doesn't work anymore. And he got pissed. But it was like, you want to treat me like crap? Okay. You lose your ability to use your phone. Good luck. Yep. And then, you know, like she wouldn't take us places because at that point she was still driving us everywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, it's one of those things where it's easier to take away something they want to have. Rather than sending, punishing them. Yeah. Or sending them to boarding school. I know. There's people that do that now, too. And I'm like, oh, yeah. that's a great way to show your, your children that you love them. Yeah, right. So, sorry for that tangent, but yeah, um, it's relevant. I feel like it's necessary. Yes. If he's running away from Catholic school because he's getting abused, yeah. Yep. No, I don't blame him at all. No. But also, not the smartest Please idea. Please don't do it in a plane. We'll talk about that after a break. Yeah. Bring it back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. We're back. So, conclusions. I'm going to read all of them for the sake of time. <laughs> they are I mean, I'm short. pretty sure it's probably short. Yeah. Yes, there's definitely no recommendations in this. The aircraft was properly certificated and was airworthy. Thank wow. you. 
The flight crew members were properly certificated and were qualified for the duties they performed. Wow. Thank you. They had nothing to do with this. No. Neither one of those things had anything to do with no. this. Pre-flight inspections carried out by the operator, station engineer, and members of the flight crew were in accordance with company procedures. Yeah, again, they, they had nothing again, to do with this. yeah, none of that had Well, anything. but that one is relevant. It is relevant. Like, they it wasn't their see... fault that the kid wasn't found. Right. They wanted to see if this was possible, but... When the aircraft was at about 200 feet altitude after taking off, and as the undercarriage retraction cycle commenced, a person fell from the aircraft. Yes, he did. There was evidence that a person had secreted himself in the left main landing gear bay. Secreted? Secreted. Secreted. Secreted? Yes. Yes, himself. Hidden? Hidden. Yep. Stowed away? Secreted himself. Yep. (laughs) That's what it says. I'm sorry, that's just really funny, the way it says that. The cause of the accident was that the stowaway secreted himself in a compartment of the aircraft, which was intended solely for the stowage of the landing gear in flight. And that's the entire report. I could have read this entire report verbatim and had it been the entire episode. And it probably would have been shorter. (laughs) Well, yes. So. So there's that. So let's talk about the seriousness of this, because this isn't a topic we've talked about before. And let's in talk depth. about why it is highly, highly likely that you will die in attempting to do this. This is definitely, definitely something you should never do. And I cannot urge you enough that if you've ever thought about doing this or if you're thinking about doing this. Please it don't. Is, it is an absolute no-go. You will not well, accomplish what you're trying all, to do. First of all, you probably won't even be able to get on airport grounds. Yeah, anymore, it's a lot harder. But there are still places in the world where this happens. This actually still happens to this day. But there's reasons why you cannot do this. And unfortunately, it's not necessarily that it's not a public thing. I remember where we talked about this now. Because I talked about the... the in a, it, it was in a post episode. I almost yes. knocked over my water. It was in a post episode because I was talking about Manifest. And oh, there, yeah, was a, yeah, yeah. there was a guy that stowed away in the cargo compartment. And you would not be able to do that because the cargo compartment isn't pressurized. It well, is. it is. It is pressurized. It is, but it's not climate controlled usually. Exactly. So it's freezing, freezing cold. cold. Some are climate controlled. It depends on which compartment you're using. So, But also, how the heck are you going to get into the cargo bay? That's the bigger issue, is that cargo compartments are usually only open and left open while there are staff. This is not always true. So cargo compartments are only usually left open when there's staff around. Yeah, because they're loading cargo. Right. And they don't want to leave them unattended because people could get in there. But in any case, even if they do leave them open, they're usually checked before you leave. And there's not very many places to hide in cargo compartments on modern airplanes. Yeah, they just there's aren't. not a lot of space. No. It's full with baggage. And it's pretty clear if somebody's trying to hide in there. Now, as for what Keith Sapsford did in hiding in the wheel well, this basically. This is the most common way that people try to stow away. And this is where Miranda's correct. It is not pressurized, Nor climate, climate controlled. controlled. So you have no oxygen. It is freezing cold. You are very, very, very likely to die. Yes. And what's worse about that... Also, the 14-year-old was only wearing... A t-shirt and shorts. Yeah, so he would not have been able to survive Well, there's that, he probably would have been squished, maybe. And even if he wasn't... His dad actually theorized that he likely was was going to be squished by the landing gear. Yeah, so even if he had... Even if he didn't fall when the doors opened, Mm -hmm. he probably would have been squished. Or, um, the plane still flies very high, okay? We're talking hypoxia... Right. Yes. We're also talking 
like freezing hypothermia. Hypothermia. Like there's no way he would have been no. able to survive that. So the very few people that have actually managed to pull this off do usually come back with very very severe illnesses because of hypoxia. Uh, extended hypoxia, as well as severe hypothermia. They lose limbs, they lose whatever it be. And a lot of them do end up getting very injured also by yeah. landing gear retractions and such. So I'm going to read um, a couple paragraphs from an article from allthatsinteresting.com on this particular event. The U.S. Federal Aviation Authority, FAA, isn't it administration? It is. Published research in 2015 showing that just one in four airplane stowaways survived the flight. Unlike Sapsford, the survivors usually hitch a ride on short trips that reach low heights as opposed to the typical cruising altitude. While one of two men stowed away on a 2015 flight from Johannesburg to London survived, he was later hospitalized due to his serious condition. The other man died. Another stowaway survived a 2000 flight from Tahiti to Los Angeles, but he arrived with severe hypothermia. Statistically, there have been 96 recorded stowaway attempts between 1947 and 2012 in wheel compartments of 85 flights. Of those 96 people, 73 died and 23 survived. So it's amazing that anybody survives that, to be honest, to me. Yeah. Oh, end quote. Yes. By the way. Also, this, so this article is a little bit older now, but there have been way more recent incidents. There was just one, I believe it was two years ago less than two years ago. I believe it was a Johannesburg to London flight. It was either that or somewhere in Africa to London. I just read about the 2015 one. Not that. Okay. This was much more recent. This was the one I told you about. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which made international headlines because a person had stowed away in the wheel well. They had died in flight. Oh, yeah, and he fell out and fell in someone's yard. He fell out, fell into somebody's yard while the person was sunbathing and fell immediately next to them. Yeah. Like... Right next to within what? less than two feet. Ugh. Ugh. When the landing gear was dropped as Gross. they were on their way into London Heathrow. So another reason to never do that because you will also... Land somewhere? Yes. Even if you survived the flight somehow, you will not survive the drop. The fall. Yeah. When you get there. Even when they put the gears down... How how many feet in the air do you think they they are when I mean it really normally... depends. Like I know a, it depends on airplane at and least stuff, thirty thousand feet. At, well, when they when, when they, they put the oh, gear when they down, put the gear down, not gotcha. Up. Usually, it's anywhere between five hundred feet and I was like going to say 5, about 000. five five hundred, but yeah, five hundred to five thousand. It really depends on more on speed than it does anything. So else. Let's it also say depends that, on noise abatement procedures. Yeah. yeah, that too. But let's say the lowest it would be is around five hundred. You would die. Falling 500 feet in the air. And if for some reason you manage to cling on for dear life, you also have to deal with the hydraulic strut actuating during the landing and not getting pinched, which sounds really uncomfortable. Right. Also, what is your plan? Assuming you survive this entire ordeal, you are now on a secured airfield. How are you getting away? Yeah. How are you getting out and out of the airport without getting seen? I think a lot of these people are so desperate. When they get into these situations that they don't really care. When they get there, if they get arrested or whatever, they probably figure that's still a better situation than where they were at. And that's tragic. Which is tragic. It is terrible. And it is a terrible thing. And unfortunately, you know, this kind of information just doesn't necessarily reach the people that need it. And the people that do need it, really, I mean, I just wish they wouldn't attempt it. It's not very common, but it is still a thing that happens. Because there's not really... 
a perfect way of preventing this at every place in the world. It's going to happen, unfortunately. And there's just no great way of preventing that. No. I mean, and That's why there's no recommendations for this either, because even now in history, they're like, just don't do what it. are we supposed to do? If somebody does miraculously make it on airport grounds, find their way to an airplane hidden, crawl into the wheel well, they're there's probably they just going to die. Yeah. Like, also, we have so many security measures that this doesn't happen in the United States. I know that not all of our listeners are from the U.S., but particularly well, here, like, Australia most, and the U.K., no. same thing. Most Ireland, airports, most no. westernized countries. Well, even beyond that, pretty much any ICAO airport That's true. is pretty secured. There's fences, there's barbed wire, there's security, there's cameras everywhere. I mean, there would it's basically impossible to get on an air on an airport ground, secure airport grounds without being seen. Yes. Now there's weird other situations where people do, and there is one this is a little bit unrelated, but one strange incident that happened a handful of years ago in Brussels, where this is the craziest thing. Look this up. This actually happened. Some diamond thieves, because Brussels is the diamond capital of the world, cut the fence, drove onto the field with a van, got into the cargo hold, stole all of the diamonds that were headed from Brussels to somewhere else, walked away with, like, $100 million in diamonds. It was one of the largest diamond heists heists on Earth. And they got away with it. They drove away. <laughs> Holy hell. Look this up. This was only like five years ago. He, she's looking it up. It was only 50 million US dollars. Okay, doesn't that, that's a lot of freaking money. That's a ridiculous <laughs> amount of money. It was one of the largest diamond heists in history. On February 18th, 2013, eight masked gunmen in two cars with police markings stole approximately 50 million US dollars worth of diamonds from a Swiss-bound Fokker 100 operated by Helvetic Airways on the apron of Brussels Airport, Belgium, just before 10 o'clock CET. I'm assuming that's local time. Mm -hmm. The heist was accomplished without a shot being fired. Wow. It is incredible. That's miraculous. I think you've told us about that before, but yeah. That's one of those things where it's like, wow, how in the world is that possible? Because it's not even a small airport. Great planning. What? Wait, what, what? In May 2013, 31 people were arrested in connection with the theft, and some of the diamonds were recovered. Charges were brought against 19 of those, 16 men and 3 women. In contrast to the clockwork execution of the robbery, the rest came as a result of mistakes made when the suspects tried to sell the stolen goods. Uh, uh, yeah, don't do that. That's the thing. You gotta be careful, because that kind of stuff's <laughs> tracked. Yes. Everything's tracked now. So, like, we talked about with D.B. Cooper. Yep. If you try to sell something you steal, there's probably serial numbers or there's something yes. where they can track even gems. Oh, yeah. Gems are laser etched. Yeah. This is just a so don't do it kind they, of thing. There's like an alarm that goes off that goes, oh, sorry, we have to have you stay here because uh, you're dumb and right. you sold us stolen gems. Yeah. This is definitely a don't do it thing. Yeah. You got to be, you got to have your big wrinkle brain on. Like yes. you can't be a smooth brain. They were smooth brains. They pulled off an incredible heist and then screwed it all up when they tried to sell yes. everything, basically. Smooth brain. I'm skipping a bunch. The summary of what I'm skipping is that the mastermind was called, was named Bertoldi. In May 2018, 18 of those tried in connection to the heist were acquitted. Mm. That's incredible. That's 18 of 19? Yeah. Wow. The case against Bertoldi, the suspected mastermind, was yet to be heard, pending the outcome of his appeal over his kidnapping conviction. Oh. Did he kidnap them? Is I... that what they claimed? 
you know, I never heard the outcome of this. Or was it separate? I never kidnapped someone else. I never heard the outcome of this, but this is like so. It sounds separate. But it was just so Hollywood. I know. It was hard to even believe that this was real when it actually happened. In June 2019, the Correctional Tribunal of Brussels sentenced Bertoldi to five years of imprisonment and a fine for being a co-conspirator in the heist, for being part of a criminal organization, and for money laundering. Does that mean that there's more people they never caught? Because he was a co-conspirator, but they didn't charge anybody else. I don't know. Anyway, side tangent. Good side tangent. I'm sending this to Miranda so she can put our source on the website. I will put it on the website. It's just amazing to me that they made it onto a highly secured airport somewhere in the world. And they did. And pulled off something incredible. That is incredible. What? Again, there's there's more. There's more. Helvetic has also gone gone now, and Brussels has gone through quite some changes. Sorry, it links to another heist, and the name of this heist is the Lufthansa heist. Oh, lovely. The Lufthansa heist was a robbery at JFK International Airport on December 11th, 1978. An estimated, much smaller amount, 5.875 million, equivalent to 23.3 million in 2020. That's still a lot. Was stolen. With $5 million in cash and 875000 in jewelry, making it the largest cash robbery committed on American soil at the time. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Holy crap. It was done by a crime family. Of course it was. Mafia. Again, Hollywood stuff. It's just crazy. That is Hollywood stuff. Any of this stuff is actually possible. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if any of that is uh, recorded, um, displayed, whatever, at the Mob Museum in Vegas. I have no idea. Highly recommend going to the Mob Museum. We are on a full-on tangent now. The money and jewelry was never recovered. It is one of the longest investigated crimes in the United States. The latest arrest associated with the robbery was in 2014, which resulted in an acquittal. Yes. Freaking mafia. Crime crime family. Yeah, I was like, they got good (laughs) lawyers, my friends. Also, another thing, though, going back to what we're actually talking about. (laughs) Please reroute us. Let's circle back. (laughs) Going back to what we're actually talking about. Another thing is that the statistics weren't published there, and I'm not sure what the statistics actually are for this, but those that do try to stow away generally get caught before they ever have the chance. The vast majority, I know because I read this somewhere a long time ago, the vast majority of people that do try to stow away get caught before they ever get the chance to get to an airplane. Ah. Because they are on a secured airport. Because that is a thing. I'm telling you, it's really hard to get onto airport grounds without being seen. Yes. Unless... There have been incidences in recent history that are really alarming of people getting onto airport grounds and then just climbing onto airport airplane wings. Or like walking in front of airplanes on active taxiways or runways. And that... Oh, to commit suicide? And that is horrifying. I don't know. Uh, quite a few of them are just people that are very drugged up. Oh. Like, there, there's been a couple incidences of people that... Ended up either being very drunk or on massive amounts (laughs) amounts of drugs that managed to somehow get onto airport grounds. And there was one guy who just climbed on the wing of a Southwest flight just before it was about to take off. How? And there's video of this. This was like last year or the year before. I don't know. The engine's running. This actually happened at Centennial, too. How? Just Just this year. Okay. I'm... This is a relevant, very relevant tangent, but Wikipedia has a page called Wheelwell Stowaway. Oh, boy. And has a list. Oh, boy. The most recent one was November 27th, 2021. Yeah, that's probably right. Uh, this that does, was like I said, literally this, last month. <laughs> this does still happen, and I really wish that this kind of information could get to people before they ever give the, they try to. Even try it, yeah. Because it is basically a suicide mission if you try. Like, you are better off finding any other solution than try to do this. Yeah. So this individual was an unidentified male as of the time of that with this was added to Wikipedia. He stowed away on American Airlines Flight 1182 from Guatemala City to Miami. 
I was like, yeah, I can't be here. On it has a, to no. be somewhere yep. else. On a 737-800, he survived. That's incredible. The unidentified male is currently in the custody of U.S. Customs and Border Protection and was taken to the hospital for medical evaluation. Did he get into the cargo hold? Because on a 730... I, don't, I think... Hold on. The 737 doesn't even have space for people in the wheel well. There is no way. You would have to be a tiny, tiny, tiny human being. Because if you've ever looked at the wheel well of a 737, for one, it doesn't have doors. There are no doors on the wheel wells of the 737. There's just, the wheels are just open. Second of all, those wheel wells are packed. With stuff. Yeah. Wires, metal. Tubes. So many tubes. So many tubes. It just says he was in the wheel well. Wow, that's amazing. Um, The recent one before that, I had actually heard of this one. And by one, I mean several. Happened August 16th, 2021 in Kabul. Any guesses? It was during the evacuation of Afghanistan. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Yep. They were try- three men who died while trying to stow away on the landing gear of AC-17. Yeah. Two of them fell moments after takeoff. Yeah. There's video of this. It's awful. The bodies of the fallen men were later recovered from the rooftop of a house in Kabul and were identified. I'm not going to say their names, but they were 25 and 20 years old. The third fatality was 19 years old, whose remains were seen trapped in the landing gear hours after takeoff. Oh, it's terrible. Like, that's the wheel well of a 737. Yeah, there's not much space in there. I have no idea where he would have been. I have no idea. I don't know. He lived. That's incredible. How he's not dead? Don't know. Please don't try this. Ever. Please, God, don't try this. It is so dangerous, and you are so... The likelihood of you dying is close to 100%. Well, let's go through a couple more. April 19th of this year, an unidentified male stowed away on KLM Flight 588 from Lagos to Amsterdam on an Airbus A330. Died during flight, likely of hypothermia. Yeah. February 4th, 2021, a Kenyan national of 16 years old stowed away on Turkish Airlines Flight 6305 from London Stansted. That's weird. To Maastricht? No I, idea. I don't know if that I don't know if that's supposed to be reversed. Unsure. On an Airbus A330 and survived. Hospitalized, but recovered. Really amazing. And arrested. <laughs> January seventh, twenty twenty. An unidentified male stowed away on Air France Flight seven oh three from Abidjan to Paris, as you would, Air France. Mm-hmm. On a triple seven, died. Uh the body was found on the landing gear upon arrival at Charles de Gaulle. It's awful. Oh, I hate that. September 30th, 2019, an unidentified male in his 20s stowed away on Royal Air Maroc Flight 526 from Conakry to Casablanca on a 737-800 and died. Oof. Unknown man in his 20s was found lifeless in the plane's landing gear compartment of Moroccan Royal Airline operating flight from Conakry to Casablanca. External examination of the body revealed traumatic skin abrasions and scrapes more pronounced on the chest, abdomen, and limbs. The body was very frozen, and rigor mortis had already set in. The cause of death was judged to occur as a result of the combined effects of hypothermia and thoracic trauma. Oof. Please don't do this. Please, God, don't do this, guys. I'm going to stop reading these. Yeah, they get just worse and worse. So I'm going to also send this to Miranda, who is going to put this on the website, if you really want to read into more reasons why you should not do this. Please don't. Again, you are more likely to be dead after than alive well on that lovely note. lovely note i don't even remember it was a japan airlines flight what was the flight number 772 772 
Okay. Which is hard to look up because if you just look up Japan Airlines Flight 772, it just pulls up 777-200s. Oh. Which makes sense. Yes. But. There you have it. It does not have a Wikipedia page either. We will have a link to the five-page report. There you go. That That's all I got. Thanks so much for listening, as always. Check us out on Patreon. We pull right up, or you can go to our Patreon tab on the website. Again, apologies for the short episode. Yes. There should be a new thing on Spotify where you can rate our episodes by now, I would hope. So if you would go ahead and give us a five-star rating, that would really help out. Uh, remember, you can always sign up for the newsletter. We've had a couple people every month sign up for it. I put in a lot of effort, so thank you for appreciating my effort <laughs> for doing the newsletter. If you want to know what's in it, it's like what we cover this month, a little bit of a preview, and then what we covered last month. So if you're a new listener, you get to see what we did last month. Or if you skip around like your girl does, because I definitely weird. do that. I'm judgy. I know. <laughs> Then you can look there. We also have a Patreon exclusive. So if you ever want to know what the Miranda Sode's going to be that's I'm covering, that's always in the newsletter. And then what the story theme is is also always in the newsletter. And then usually a tidbit of the month. And it depends on what I feel like should be covered that I cover in the tidbit of the month. Okay, so cool. Eventually yeah. I'm going to end up having to ask Nick about some because I'm running out of ideas. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> well, now you can do one about stowaways. Oh, hey, that's a good idea. Okay. There You'll probably go. get that. You've probably already seen it in the January newsletter. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being awesome and great. We hope you have a safe and healthy week and that you had great holidays. And we will catch you all next week. Keep your speed up. Please like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hardlandings Podcast and on Twitter at Hardlandings Pod. Subscribe and leave a five-star review on the platform you are using to listen. If you would like to see photos and sources for this episode, please visit us at heartlandingspodcast.com, where you can also leave us feedback and ask questions. This episode was researched and written by Nick and Christy. Our theme song was written by Miranda and performed by all three of us, plus Leo. And our logo is by Naomi from Not a Monster, Not a Boogeyman. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.